something that I found funny this week. If you guys don't, that's right, laugh anyways, it'll make me feel better. All right, here we go. Let me pull it up first. And this is for John because he's not here, so I'm giving him a little, how he always talks and bashes on religion, so I'm going to give this little thing. All right, it's a little bit longer. But a priest, a rabbi, and a minister walked into their favorite bar where they would get drinks together two or three times a week. On a particular afternoon, someone made the comment that preaching to people isn't really all that hard. Well, let's give it a go and let's see how it goes. But anyways, they isn't really hard. A real challenge would be to preach to a bear. They thought about it and decided to do an experiment. They would all go out into the woods, find a bear, and preach to it. An attempt to convert it. Seven days later, they're all together to discuss the experience. The priest, who has his arm in a sling, is on crutches, and has various bandages, goes first. Well, he says, I went into the words to find me a bear. And when I found him, I began to read to him the catechism. Well, that bear wanted nothing to do with me and began to slap me around. So I quickly grabbed my holy water, sprinkled him, and Holy Mary, Mother of God, he became a gentle lamb. The bishop is coming out next week to give him the first communion and confirmation. The minister spoke next. He was in a wheelchair with an arm and both legs in casts, an ivy drip. In his best fire and brimstone oratory, he claimed, Well, brothers, you know, we don't sprinkle. I went out and find me a bear. And then I began to read to my bear from God's holy word. But that bear didn't want anything to do with me. So I took him, and we began to wrestle. We wrestled down one hill, up another, and down another, until we came to a creek. So I quick dunked him and baptized his hairy soul. And just like that, he was as gentle as a lamb. Well, they both looked down at the rabbi, who was lying in a hospital bed. He was in a body cast in traction with IVs and monitors running in and out of him. He was in bad shape. The rabbi looks up and says, looking back, circumcision would may not have been the best bet to go. <laughs> Anyways, that one's for John. And here's a little one that I thought funny too. An old lady at the bank asked me if I could check her balance, so I pushed her over. If you don't get that one, ask somebody at NAFTA, see if they can check your balance at your bank. All right. Well, good morning. So with that, let us go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we are here with you, Lord, and we thank you that we get to just spend this time with you. We ask that uh, you'd be the one that speaks through me and that you'd be the one that communicates to each and every person here individually, Lord. We thank you that uh, you are in this room. We thank you that we get to be with you and that we get to take this moment from the busy weeks that we've had and just breathe with you, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you. We welcome you into this place. We welcome you here. And we just ask for you, more of you, Lord, in our lives. And with that, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, I'm going to move this, if that's all right. Erickson, don't mind me throwing things around. I appreciate you setting up. 
but I, I like to move. So I have the chalkboard up here because I, I like to interact. And so I like to have people interact with me. If you don't, I will stand here awkwardly and make you feel awkward because I don't mind standing here quiet, all right? So this morning, I'm going to start talking about the purpose of God's life or purpose of God in our life. It's a huge subject, but I'm going to try to tackle it and look at different aspects of it. So from the very beginning, we'll go back to Genesis, and we will look at how the Garden of Eden was. And in the Garden of Eden, if we remember, Adam and Eve spent time with God. It says that they walked in the cool of the evening with God. They got to spend time with him. They got to know and fellowship with him. And God got to spend that time with his people. That's the beginning, all the way in the beginning. And then we have what all of us know is the fall of man. So where sin came into the world and broke into the world that God created. And because of that, we then lost that communion or connection that God had with his people. So we fast forward and we go to where the Israelites, and to give a little bit of background on the Israelites, they were the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. And they, from them, you had Isaac, Jacob, and then you have the 12 tribes of Israel. They all went to Egypt. Now, how long they spent in Egypt depends on who you talk to. Some say 430, some say 250. Not the point of this story. But the point is, is that they went to Egypt, and they were slaves for however long, and the Lord called them out of it. And you have where the Exodus Moses is sent in back into, because Moses was originally an Israelite, but then he became one of the adopted sons of the princess, or princess, sorry, and she raised him. So Moses was being raised in the palace. He was being raised as an Egyptian elite or a nobleman. He didn't want to go down that lifestyle anymore, so he then went and ran away after he murdered an Egyptian taskmaster. He was, the taskmaster was, master was beating up one of the Hebrew slaves. And so Moses stepped in and said, that's enough, and he ended up killing him. So after that, he ran away because the pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, was looking to pursue and kill Moses. And you got to think, Moses and this pharaoh most likely knew each other very well because they are in the same type of environment. They're being raised together. If, if the pharaoh's older, then Moses most likely grew up with the kids of the pharaoh. And so this man that Moses knows very well is trying to kill him. And so you have Moses, he runs away, and he goes away, and he spends 40 years in the land of Midian. Watch out for that. 40 years in the land of Midian. When he was there, he got married, had kids, and got to really see another aspect of life, because he was a nobleman. Remember that he was in the palace, always being raised, pampered from childhood, getting whatever you want, best education. But then he goes out and he becomes a shepherd. So after the 40 years of him being out there and a shepherd, he 
is then called by the Lord to go back into Israel, or back into Egypt, to deliver the Israelites from bondage. So first, Moses says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he wants to get out of there. He, he says, I can't talk. And it's funny, when you think about the, when he says, I can't talk, he didn't have any problem telling God, I don't, I can't talk. So they actually believe that the reason he said that was because he grew up in the high elite education system of Egypt. And just like the ancient Greeks, philosophy and debate was a huge thing in that time period. And so when Moses said, I can't talk, he was comparing himself to his peers that he grew up with or he went to school with. He was comparing them, himself to them and saying, I can't speak as well as those people. So I can't do it. God said, no, you can do it because I have created the tongue. I'm able to give the words that you need to speak for me. But again, Moses says no. So then Aaron comes up, and Aaron says that he'll be the spokesman for Moses. They go back into Egypt. They then do the plagues, and you have all the different plagues that were uh, used to deliver the, Egypt, or the Israelites from the Egyptians. So now this, that's a little bit of background of the Egyptians holding slavery over the Israelites. So Moses then takes the Israelites out into the wilderness because that's where God led them because you have the giant pillar of cloud at night and a pillar of fire at, uh, at night and then the cloud during the day. Those led the Israelites and Moses out into the wilderness. And they went to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And it's on the Arabian Peninsula over by the Red Sea. Mount Sinai. And this is where God gives Moses the law. You get the Ten Commandments. You get the, um, the law of Moses. Was what they call it. Sometimes they just call it a law. It's real simple, you know. Just keep it a simple title. Um, but he gives them the laws, and a lot of us think that these laws and rules are do's, do not do, don't do, don't do this, do this. We just think it's a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts that God gave them. And it, it kind of looks that way when you see the Ten Commandments. Don't have other gods. Do not commit adultery. Do, it's do not, do not. And we can kind of get lost in what the heart of the Father was with the Israelites. Because God gave a very intentional law to them. Because if we go back to Genesis, where God is in communion with Adam and Eve, he's walking with them. We go to the Israelites, and I'll pull up Exodus. In, in, for Bible verses, I'm going to be all over the place. So if you guys feel it, you can keep up. Otherwise, I'll, I'll read it to you guys. So in Exodus... You'll have to give me a moment to get to each one of these. 29.45. So, like I said, there's a very specific reason that God gave these rules to them. Because, again, back to the Garden of Eden, God is spending time with Adam and Eve. And that's what he wants. 
God created man so that he could be with them. Then you have that fall of man, right? You have Adam and Eve, sin. Sin came in, broke the connection between God and us. Then you go to the Israelites, and the Israelites are now in this middle of the desert, getting these random laws that say, do not, do, do this, do, don't, do this. But why? Why do we have this law? And so you have to remember that God is a holy God. He's all holy. And we, because of sin, have, are fallen. And the two can't come together whatsoever. There's no way for them to interact with, intermingle with each other. Because of God's holiness, it would actually destroy us because of the, of the corruption that is within it. So this is why God gives the law to Moses. And in Exodus 29:45, it says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So if we go back to Adam and Eve, they, he's with communion with them, walking in the evening with them. We go now to the Israelites. Because of this law that we feel is a bunch of rules, God's actually inviting them into a relationship with this law, saying, because you guys are unholy, I can't be with you. But because of this law that I'm giving you, I'm wanting to build the connection with you and build that relationship with you. And that's why God connected with the Israelites and said, I want to be your God. And that's why you have... The tabernacle comes up, and God literally is dwelling among his people, like it was back in the Garden of Eden. Then, then because that's not all that God wants. He doesn't want just a distant relationship, even with the Israelites, even though he was with them in the tabernacle. He wanted more than that. He didn't want to just be a distant God. So then he sends Jesus Christ. And we read in John 3, 16, like, oh, yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sometimes we can blow past that verse. Like, it's everywhere. Sometimes we see it on the road. But when you realize that, if you think about the Garden of Eden and how, there we go. Maybe that won't squeak as much. Um, Derailed me. Wow. The Garden of Eden, God was with him. And so we sent the father, or the father sent the son so that he could have fellowship with his people, right? So God is sending his son not just to redeem us, which it is, but also to build that connection that he once had with his people, his creation in the Garden of Eden. He's pursuing you and I by sending the Son, so that we can become back into the fellowship with him. So when we read John 3.16, that he sent the only begotten Son, it's so that the blood of Christ can make us available or able to come into that connection once again with the Father. And so that's why later on in the future, you see in Revelations 21.3, where how this is played out, because we have the redemption blood of Christ and it's over us. 
Wow, Revelation's really far back there. 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the exact same scenario in the exact same way it was originally designed in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That God is wanting to build that relationship so that they can be connected. And we can be his people, but he can be our God. So, that's great and all, but how does that, and why does that, what do, what do we do with it today? How does that work today? Well, Jesus says that we could tap into that today. Not only because we are with connection with God because of the blood, but Jesus says that eternal life is this, that they know the Father and the Father, and the Son, who the Father sent. That is what eternal life is. And that's in uh, John 17.3, where Jesus literally says, that's eternal life. And so we're looking for eternal life. Yes, it is. We're living with God forever. We are able to go to heaven. But eternal life is taking us back to the Garden of Eden, where we get to know the Father. And the Father gets to spend that time with us. No longer is it disconnected. No longer are we have to be a distant and far off. But we get to be in communion with God today. So how does that look today? If I were to do my normal things, I, I work here and out in the farm, or for those who are school teachers or students or whatever, retired, whatever you're doing, how does that look today? So Jesus talks about the sheep know his voice. right? So we'll put the, the uh, knowing God and God knowing us to the side for a second. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus says that when you become a Christian, you now know the voice of the shepherd. Right? We get to hear God's voice whether it's through the reading of the word or it's some people audible, some people it's in their, in their sleep. I don't have dreams. My wife, she dreams all the time. So the Lord speaks to her that way, but I don't get anything. I, it's like black. But the Lord speaks to us, and we understand and we know what it feels like and to hear the voice of God, right? And have you guys experienced that where you're able to hear the voice of God, whether it's Bible reading or it's your prayer time, or times of worship, we all get to hear the voice of God. But because we get to hear the voice of God, Jesus puts this as an analogy of that we are the branches, and he is the vine. And when he is the vine, that means every nutrient for the branch comes through the vine. 
And for those who grow plants and to in agriculture, you understand that that branch, if you cut it off, is not going to do anything. It doesn't have nutrients. It doesn't have anything going to it because it's disconnected to the Father or from the branch. When we hear the voice of God, whether it's, like I said, any way that God speaks to you, each one of us can hear the Father a little bit different. When we hear the voice of God, we're able to connect into the vine. And we're able to get those nutrients so that we can bear fruit. Now you hear the, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. And sometimes we almost feel like we have to force it. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like, I have to be more patient? Come here, kid. Come here. You know? Like, you almost feel like we have to do it. We have to be more loving. We have to be more self-controlled. Oh, I, I can't have that alcohol. It's, but what if we realize that the fruit of the Spirit is because we're connected to the, brand, or the, to the vine? It's not about you and I doing good works. It's about being with the Father and communion and connection with Him. The, um, even Paul says in the Bible that Apollo's waters, I plant it, but it's God who causes the growth. How many of you guys have tried to grow plants? Tomatoes? Yes, tomatoes. What, what, what have you tried to grow? Something. Sweet peppers, tomatoes. I, Larry, Larry's got everything over there. He's good to grow. He knows how to grow stuff on his, at his place. But have you ever realized that you personally can't make that plant grow fruit? Now, you can put it in the right environment. You can give it the nutrients that it needs. You can give it the water or less water here. You can give it the nutrients, the water, the sunlight, or not too much sunlight. You can put it in the right environment for it to grow. But you can't cause that plant to grow fruit. Now let's take it to our personal life, our spiritual life. We can be in connection with the Father, because God already made the connection with us. He sent His Son. The connection is there. He wants the relationship. He is pursuing each individual. So we can place ourselves in connection with the Father, so that we then can bear fruit, not on our own will, but because we are abiding in him. We're connected to the vine, and the branches are able to grow fruit because of who the Father is. And when we get to hear his voice and spend time and abide with him, we're able then to bear the fruit, but then we are also able to tap into that eternal life today. Because the eternal life, as Jesus said, is to know the Father. And when we spend time with the Father, we get to know his heart. You get to hear his voice. You get to hear the heart of the Father for others, for yourself. Whenever you're in a dark area, sometimes it's nice to just hear the Father say, I love you. You're worth it. You're special. You're unique. 
And that's when we get to hear and spend time with the Father and be with him. So, again, we're going to set this to the side. Remember all that we just went. I'm going to give you two thoughts, two thought processes of how people believe and think this works out in their life. And again, this isn't me. I'm not going to try to preach like thus says the Lord. This is what I am learning. So this is my personal journey that I'm sharing with each of you. So welcome to my devotion times. Uh, and I like chalkboards. So thank you, Woody and AJ, for bringing it over. I appreciate it. I love chalkboards. This is just how I work. I think in pictures. And I got to find my chalk. Where? Oh, here it is. Thank you. Um, so there's two thoughts when it comes to the purpose of God in our life. So the first one, we're going to call it linear. The linear lifestyle or linear relationship. How many here believe or think that God has one person for you to marry? One person for you to marry. How many here believe that there is one job for you that God has planned for you? Anybody? How many here believe that there is one place that God has specifically for you to live at? So let me, yeah, this is, so I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to say one way or another. I'm just presenting these things that I've been learning. And sorry if I wrestled some feathers of some people. Don't worry, it'll get worse. Um, but anyways, so let me put it this way. We'll do linear. We'll just do a straight line. That This is God's plan. We'll do a little, little sunshine. Mr. Charlie, I know you're jealous of my, my drawing. I know. There we go. We'll just do this. This is God's plan. You know, sunshine, clouds, straight line. Erickson's jealous of my drilling, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so God has one plan for us. And here we go. We'll put a little stick figure right there. That's us. God has one plan for us. So this is a linear thought process, that God has one thing for us that we are to find it, that we are to go after and pursue God's plan in our life. Let me give you another thought of the opposite side of linear. This uh, I'm going to call it dynamic. It's a dynamic plan or dynamic relationship. Again, here we are. Yes, I draw stick figures. It's a lot easier than people. We have this, and our lifestyle is more of a door. Of opportunity and these doors sorry if you can't see anything I'll move in a sec here's more doors under these opportunities and you have these ones and each one so each and it goes so on and so forth you guys kind of get what I'm saying I know that's a little bit of drawing but we have opportunities that God's given each one of us and they're doors and we walk through the door and guess what there's another decision on the other side, and we got to make another one. But how often do we feel like there's one plan, and we are sitting there focused on what is God's one plan for us? And sometimes it feels like in life, this, at least for me, again, I don't know for you, but that for me, sometimes when there, I feel like there's one plan for God 
for me. I almost feel like in life, I'm going up, and I'm out of God's plan. Oh, look, I'm in God's plan. But then I go out of it, and I feel like I'm out of God's plan again. And it, it kind of like up and down lifestyle of where I'm trying to find the God, will of God. Oh, I'm out of God's will. I'm in God's will. I'm out of God's will. And it gets hectic, I got to say. But what if, what if it wasn't just one line, one plan, one place to live? Now, if you're married, that's your spouse, all right? No, no, no second choosing that one, all right? <laughs> you're stuck. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I love my wife. <laughs> but what if life with God is dynamic? What if there's more than just trying to find that perfect plan? What if there's more of being able to step in and do life with God? partner with God. Because what I've found is that linear lifestyle is often trying to find God where dynamic is being with the Father, is being with Him. And then let me, let me explain dynamic a little more. We all clear on linear, straight line, God has one plan for me. I got to find that or I am out of God's will. Okay? Let me explain a little bit more on dynamic in the relationship. So let's pull up Jesus. He gives a parable. i got to find which it is. Um, there it is. Matthew 21, or sorry, 25, 14, 30. This is the parable of the talents. Twenty-five, fourteen through 30. The parable of the talents. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, he who had received the first five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also, he who had the two talents made two more talents. But he who received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the first five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five, made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents uh, he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord, of your master. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I had not sown, and gather where I had not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. We'll stop there. Large parable. Some of you may see how I'm... It can see the dynamic of the dynamic lifestyle and plans that God has for you. Well, hello, Missy. Yes. Um, so God has given each one of them talents. Now, a talent in that time and generation was a set amount of money. Just like today, we have the two, we have the five, the 10, 20, 50, 100. A talent was the same thing then. It was a set amount of money. And so the master gave them the talents each one according to their abilities. And then he left. What if we instead put ourselves in that parable? And instead of it being a sum of money, now, for some of you, it is a sum of money. But what if we put in there, instead of money, what if it's passion, a dream, a skill, or a relationship? that God has given each one of you. When each one we receive an ability or a talent, I'll give you a scenario of what it looks like for somebody today that has been given a talent, also talent in the sense of a skill, and how they used it. So, We'll, we'll give the example of somebody is very musically gifted, just naturally. They can pick up a guitar and they can play, and you've been playing for 10 years, and you can't figure out what they did because they're so good at it. Or they pick up a piano. Not pick it up, but they play a piano. And they just know how to do it, and you're just blown away. That person has been given a natural skill, would you say? The natural ability that God has given them. If we plug that into the scenario of the parable that Jesus says, the parable then is multiplying it by a hundredfold. So the man or the person received the ability to play music or to be musically in talent. I know that breeze feels very good, so enjoy it. I don't mind if you guys all look towards it. It's okay. I won't be offended. But. Back to the music, the person has the ability to be very musically inclined. If they were wanting to hundredfold increase it, what would they do? You develop the skill, right? Even though they're naturally good at it, they would develop the skill that they have been given by God. And so then at the end of their life, they're able to go to God and say, I've developed what you gave me. And I'm giving it back to you as an act of worship. And now you can play it with the person that buried their skill. Same scenario. 
The person's given the ability as a natural gift to play music. But they got hurt, or they were afraid. And they buried that skill. They buried the ability to play music. Never played. I know people today that they got hurt once from somebody singing, or they were singing, and somebody said, you sound like a dying chicken. And they, but, I don't. But they never picked up a mic again, even though they had a natural ability. And sometimes, yes, when we're nervous and we're singing for the first time, we all sound like dying chickens. It's all right. But they bury it. And we can use a, the, the analogy of the master saying, at least put it in the bank so I can earn interest on it. What does that mean with a music skill? What does that mean? For me, and what I've kind of been with the Lord in the journey, what does that look like? That's simply, for me at least, is using it. If you're good at singing, you may not develop it. You don't care to develop, don't want to develop it. But at least you used it. You used what God gave you. So that when you get to heaven, you can say, here it is back. And here's a little bit extra. I didn't really care to do much with it. But here it is. And you got a little bit more interest. So that all to show what dynamic looks like. God's given each one a gift and abilities to do stuff. And he's given us the freedom to go and do life with him. To take those things that he's given us, the talents, the relationships, the resources, and go to develop them, or passions. How many of us almost feel like it's a sin, or not what God wants, to pursue a passion with God? Or a dream that he's placed in each one of our hearts. But we don't want to do it because that's not God's perfect, straight-line plan. What if it's out of his will. But what if God's given you these passions to do life with God? Again, back to it. It's finding God or being with God. We've gotten these things that we're able to step into with God. He's given us all the things that we need to to take and bring his kingdom to he or his heavenly kingdom to earth. And that's where it's a partnership with him. And we go back a little bit with the, the Garden of Eden. The partnership is that God told Adam, cultivate the garden. Go work at it. Grow it. Make the whole world look like this. He didn't say, Adam, this is what you're going to do. Then you're going to do this. And then you're going to plant that tree right there. No, no, right there. He didn't do that. He said, go make the whole world look like what I've done. We've gotten things that God's given us. And we can go pursue God in those because remember, the whole purpose that God wants is a relationship between you and I. That's the eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the Father. So what if we're able to pursue these dreams, to pursue these passions, or pursue these skills that God has put in us and in our hearts with the Father? Not Pursuing them for them themselves. If you pursue a job or money for itself, or you pursue a passion for itself, that will become your God and it will never satisfy you. But what if? What if we're able to pursue 
God. Seeking first the kingdom of God in the things that he's given us. And that's where we are able to step into an opportunity. And it says, I don't know where to go. God, lead me. He'll be there to lead you. But at the same time, he's given you the Holy Spirit to help you to step into new things, to take new territory, and to expand this kingdom of God on earth. And that's when, when we're able to step into pursuing God in our passion and in our dreams and in our skills, that's when we become fully alive today. Not when we get to heaven, but we get to pursue things today. And this is what's interesting, is when we become alive in who God's designed us to do and created us to do, what happens? The people around us notice Man, that person is on fire. They are so happy. What the heck is wrong with them? Why are they so happy? Like, I, people at work will ask you this. Like, you are just blowing my mind how happy you are. What is wrong with you? People notice when you are stepping into your passion. Because when you step into your passion, you become alive, right? Or your dream. And you, you pursue God in those. And when you pursue them with God for the sake of of knowing the Father, we then become alive in who we are. That's when, like, Bill Johnson, he says, demonstrate who God is through your passion. People get to see the Father, the heart of the Father. They don't know him, but they get to see you, and they get to see what you do at work and at school or at your house or how you treat your spouse. They get to see how you do that. And that's when they see, oh, there's a God out there. And that's when they're able to see there's more to life than just what I'm doing and pursuing my specific thing. That's what happens when we step into who God's created us to be and do with them. And again, this is just my thoughts, teaching, and I'm just sharing what God's shown me and kind of how do you walk this line of am I in God's will or is actually it's not about finding God's specific will. It's about stepping into relationship with God to be with the Father. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Just like God wanted with the Israelites. Just why God sent Jesus. So that you and I can step into eternal life today and in the future, and be in communion with the Father. And that's when we get to heaven and we get to hear the, the finish of the parable, well done and good faithful servant. Because we've taken these dreams, these passions, these skills, these relationships, these resources that God has given us, and we get to go back to the Father and say, look what I did with them. But again, it's not pursuing those things for themselves. It's pursuing, those, pursuing the Father in those things and being with the Father so that we can actually know who the Father is. Those are the things. And kind of going back to the, the abiding. I know some people like to just sit on their knees and pray. If that's you, more power to you. I don't like that. I get bored sitting on my, my knees hurt. I, I don't like sitting on the ground. I get bored of spending time with God like that. 
This is where it's, it's fun because it's a relationship with the Father. For me, you want to hear what's ex- how I feel connected to the Father? Let me, let me paint a picture for you. You ready for this? Imagine you're in a perfectly good airplane. And you're flying above. You look out the window. And down below you see the ocean. You see the land. There's the island over there. And you can't even see people because they're so small. And what do you do? You jump out. That's where I feel God. It's skydiving. Just, I, I, it was with a parachute. That's why I'm here still. All right? Or here's another example of where I feel God and pursuing God. There's a bridge. It's a two-mile hike up to the bridge. Beautiful hike. got to say, you were crossing rivers. And you get to this bridge. It's called the bridge to nowhere. You know why? It goes nowhere. The road got wiped out by the rain. It's gone. So it's just a bridge. It's called the bridge to nowhere. What do I do? I step over the ledge. And I walk this little plank, probably about this size. I don't know why they couldn't make a plank bigger for you to walk out on. But it was like a two by four. I walk out, and you look down. And below is about 200 feet. There's the river flowing through. that you just crossed two or three times to get up there. And there's the river. It's beautiful. And what do you decide to do? I jumped again. This time, it was a bungee cord, so I was all right. Then I hit the ground, flat. But all that to say is, that's how I feel connected to God, where I get to spend God, because I, low-key, kind of an adrenaline junkie. I enjoy jumping out of good planes and jumping off good bridges. But that's how I feel the Lord and feel connected to him. How do you abide with the Father? How do you connect to the Father? Is it in your skills that he's given you of where you are able to just sit down at a piano and compose a song that only heaven's heard and that's where you're with the Father? Or when you're in front of your class and you're teaching and you're pouring into the next generation or the generations that are coming above or behind you, maybe that's where you see the Father and you know I am doing life with God right here. Or maybe it's when you take your spouse on a date and you go out and you spend that one-on-one connection with your spouse and you're able to build that relationship. And again, we're not pursuing things for the things themselves. We get to pursue these things with the Father because that's what he wants since the very, very beginning is to walk and do life Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you are wanting to do life with us. And you've placed in each and every single one of us a desire to pursue you and to know who you are. Because, Lord, that is ultimately what it is about, is to be and to know you. And so, Lord, if for those who do not know what those things are or from years of feeling guilt, We just break off chains. Ask for freedom to be able to pursue what you've placed in their heart and pursue you and to know you. We thank you, God, that you are bringing life and freedom 
And through these things, people are able to pursue an abundant life with you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 